Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> Vincent van Gogh? I thought Vincent. he was dead. Vincent Gogh. Hey Kerwin, what are your thoughts on achieving contentment? Ooh, good question. I guess what it, it really comes down to what does contentment mean to you uh, in the context of your situation right now? You know, because I think for some people, they believe that once they become successful, then they'll feel content. Uh, and for other people, you know, they might already be successful and they may not still be content or, or have peace. Uh, I know for me, based on my own journey, you know, I, I've lived literally most of my life um, not really fully comfortable with who I was, you know, who I am, you know, who I am today. Like a, a huge, like I'm 43 years, 40 almost, oh fuck, I don't know, it's like I'm either 43 or 44 this year. But I lived a very large portion of, of those years, like not being happy with who I was and always constantly thinking that, you know, I wasn't either further enough along or I wasn't, you know, m enough of a person to be either liked by others or to have people do business with them or even to be successful. You know, when I was younger, I was always looking for the next thing. and. You know, I, I, uh, I thought it was going to be money because voids breed values and you know, I grew up not necessarily having a lot of money around me, single mum on a pension. She was quite entrepreneurial, doing own bits and pieces throughout, you know, throughout my life. But for the most part, you know, I always felt like money was something that was missing and so I really wanted more of it. And when I, became, you know, when, when I became of age and I started making money, even before, like when I was at school, like I worked more than anyone that I knew. At school, not only would I go to school, but I'd, you know, I'd basically work from 5am until 8.45, run to school. I opened a gym and I'd worked at the gym and I'd run to school. I would then go to school until three o'clock and then at three o'clock I'd jump on a bus that would take me to a mall where I'd work in a restaurant, Sizzler, from normally like 3.45 until 1am. 1, 1 and then on weekends I was a labourer. You know, so I, I fucking always worked because I wanted to have more money. But I always just thought, you know, once I get to a certain point, once I get to a certain bank balance, then I'll be content. You know, then I'll, I'll be okay. Then everything will be all right. My first few businesses, you know, failed spectacularly. Never made a lot of money in jobs. But when my first business that was actually successful started to make money, I remember I made like a, a ridiculous amount of money to me at that time. It was like three quarters of a million dollars in a nine month period. Um, and I remember just feeling miserable. Like I actually remember thinking to myself, why aren't I happy? You know, I've finally made all this money. And so then I went on this spending spree thinking, well, maybe if it's not money, maybe it's cars. And so I bought, you know, two sports cars and I still felt like shit. And then I thought, well, maybe it's a house, got a house on the water, you know, on the canals in the Gold Coast. Maybe it's a beautiful girlfriend. We started dating, you know, started dating models. And I found that nowhere, no matter where I went, I just found more emptiness. You know, I really found a lot of emptiness, a big void. And it wasn't until I, you know, I did my trip overseas where I basically went to find myself and... Now, the irony was I went to fucking like, I don't know, I don't know how many countries I went to, lots, over this six, seven month period and then I came back and when I landed in Sydney I actually had this revelation that I was actually, what I was looking for was actually right here all the time. And it's been a really interesting journey from that moment of me realising that the contentment was actually in here, it wasn't out there. You can't chase contentment by going to the next thing, you know, we can only find it by delving deep within ourselves. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the inner journey is actually, you know, the one of peace. And it's actually not because when I started to go inside myself and I started to go deep inside myself, I didn't like what I saw. You know, I've, I've done a lot of silly stuff. I've done a lot of bad stuff. I've done a lot of good stuff. I've done a lot of incredible stuff. But when you start peeling back the layers and looking at everything, you know, it brings up a lot of pain. But what I found helped me get to the level that I am now is I, I finally started to accept who I am, both the good and the bad without this desire to change who I am. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have this value on growth that I'm going to continually pursue and go and you know, continually pursue growth and growth opportunities, but it's actually different now that I'm in this position where I, I still pursue, but I'm actually really comfortable with who I am. I like who I am. And I, and I know this might even sound weird to some people, I actually really love who I am. 
know, I actually am, you know, I have this relationship with myself now where I actually love me. I like me for who I am. I trust me for who I am. And that has enabled me to achieve a level of contentment at 43 uh, that I spent most of my life wondering, you know, if it would ever happen. And it, it does happen, but it doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and it can be a painful process. And I often believe the reason that most people don't get to where I am at a level of contentment is because they're not willing to do the work, the personal work, the journey work, and to, you know, really uncover everything, warts and all, and be able to sit there and look at it and go, well, that's part of who I am, rather than going, that was just me in a phase. No, that's part of who I am. You know, we all have all traits. And it's when we try to disown certain traits that we actually start to disown parts of ourselves and we start to become, you know, uh, uh, not whole. And we start to want to change aspects of ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to change, but we can actually change. Change is far more effective when we accept who we are rather than trying to change who we are because we don't like who we are. Much the same with other people. And I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. But I find the greatest way to help others is accepting them for who they are. Because when you accept them for who they are and you remove judgment, you remove bias, you, know, you actually build this enormous connection. And that those, it's those connections that enable you to break through and create real transformations. And that's not just on the outside, it's also on the inside. Something to think about, Vincent Van Gogh. Jeffrey Swanton. Hey, Corin. What to do in that moment when I'm confused? Uh, I'm confused by that question. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so for me, when I'm in that state of confusion, it's like any state. It, you know, one of the things that I've found that has really helped me become a, a more rounded, more you know, a better person in general, as and, and as a business person, is in the moments where things happen that you be, you allow consciousness to take over and choose what things mean. The the reframe that I use on confusion and frustration, it's a simple reframe. It's just taking one meaning you know, that has been used and applied and replacing it with another meaning that is that can be used and applied. But it has to be conscious, you know, because I say frustration or confusion means that you're about to learn something. You know, frustration means you're about to have a breakthrough. So for me, when I am confused, I don't just sit there and go, oh, oh fuck, I'm confused. I actually go, okay, awesome, this is good. This is a good sensation. This is a good feeling. I'm about to learn something. I'm about to learn something. So I literally start saying to myself, okay, I'm about to learn something. What am I learning from this? What's the benefit of this? How, what is what, how is what is happening now going to enable me to move forward faster in the future? So it doesn't just happen by accident. You have to consciously take charge of allocating a meaning in that moment and then start putting pillars under that meaning to give it reference, to give it you know, stability so that it's not just you know, wordplay or pop psychology. Uh, and that's where the work, is, the work comes in. And most, again, it's like what I said with the, the question around fucking you know, being content. You know, this work is, is, is easy when life is going well. Like personal development is so easy when life is going well. But the true litmus test for how developed an individual is, you know, how, how do you respond when the shit goes bad? Uh, and that's where, you know, when shit goes bad, oftentimes, you know, people become confused. They don't know what to do. And when you sit there going, oh my God, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. You just, you know, that's, that's hypnotic language. All language is hypnotic. You know, all language is suggestive and those suggestions, those commands actually you know, uh, impact the brain and the brain responds in kind. I'm confused. Okay, you're confused. Okay, I'm about to learn something. Okay, you're about to learn something. It's just that conscious choice but the willingness and the discipline to apply it in the moments that matter. Farid Hamidi. Hey Corwin, what does value mean to you as a person and as a businessman? Value to me means that there is a level of benefit that is on offer that meets something that is important to me at such a degree that I want to do it. Because when we look at what value is, value isn't necessarily you know, associated with a dollar figure. To me, value is associated with values. Now, value is worth, values values, 
you know, relate to motive or, or relate to the things that are important to us. Our values as human beings typically are in a hierarchy from, you know, number one to whatever of the things and the themes that are important to us. So, for example, someone's number one value uh, as a person might be family. And the way that you can demonstrate value, which is worth in a product, is by showing them how that product can enable them to have more time with their family or deeper relationships and richer relationships with their family. See, value is determined by values. And you have what's called market values. So most markets will have a value. So the gym market, for example, most people who you know, are in the gym industry or in, the, in that market, you know, they value health, they value fitness, they value you know, looking good and being lean. And so it's very easy to communicate a value to market values when you understand what those market values are. When we talk about individual values, individual values, the way that we demonstrate, or most importantly, when it comes to the individual values, it requires us to be able to elicit what they are, to be able to then connect the benefits of our product to what's important to the client for them to see a value and worth in the product or the service that we have. And so that's what sales is all about. Sales to me is about the elicitation and identification of values and then ensuring that the product benefits okay, actually marry up with that. Because if they don't, there's no, there sh you shouldn't sell. Okay, and if you do, that's what's called fucking, that's called deception. Okay, that's, that's the, the realms of, of con men and con women. But when you can actually elicit the values of an individual and then you can actually see that there is a direct alignment and correlation connection with the, the benefits of the product, that's where all you need to do is amplify and communicate those benefits in a way that can be demonstrated to meet the values of the individual and value is then seen and as such, people are then motivated to move forward because values are motivation. They're a motive. They're a reason for doing things. And when you can connect the value of your product with the values of an individual, they will be motivated to buy your product or service. Great question, mate. Noah Saleh. Hey, Kerwin. How can I, as a restaurant owner, increase revenue by using social media? Oh, dude, there is social media and food. Like, if you haven't seen, a lot of people like to take photo of their food, um, you know, which makes it very... Uh, attractive for platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and even Pinterest, you know, maybe not LinkedIn uh, or YouTube, but certainly um, Instagram, Facebook, and even Pinterest, you know, they're, they're, they're very big when it comes to the visual aspects of social media. But, you know, things that I'll be doing is obviously taking photos of your food, publishing on Instagram, you know, get asking or, or encouraging your clients to take photos of their food and tag you and um, geo, uh, what do you call it, geo tag you in, uh, you know, in the photos that they're publishing. You know, run competitions with people taking photos of their food and publishing it. Much like people used to do with the whole you know, business card in a bowl and you'd win a free lunch, you know, you'd draw a free lunch once a week, once a month. Start doing those sort of things on, by using social media. And also start taking videos. And this is something I gave, uh, I gave this actually to another restaurateur last week. They were like, you know, everyone seems to be taking the photos and putting it online and everything else. Yeah, and, and they, they do and, and you should because vi the visual aspect of food is very compelling. But what I haven't seen a lot of restaurants doing is actually taking video behind the scenes of meals being prepared. You know, and because some people might go, oh no, I can't do that because then they'll see my secret sauce or my secret methodology. And if you, and if you say that, you're missing the whole fucking point. The reason people go to a restaurant is because they don't want to cook for themselves. They want someone else to cook for them. So when you can actually take them behind and show them the process of creating the food, you actually give them a completely different perspective, a completely different insight, you know, a completely different point of view that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And you'll be able to highlight things like everything from you know, cleanliness and hygiene, but also to flair, you know, being able to use, you know, in, the, in the kitchen, I like to use flair, so whenever I'm cooking on gas, you know, if I'm doing a stir fry, throw a bit of extra oil, flip the pan on the side, get a big fireball going. 
What you can do in a restaurant when it comes to video is just off the hook. Even you know, all the way down to the presentation to the table and seeing people laugh and being jovial as they eat it. And then you don't have to do that every single day, but if you just did that once a week, I guarantee you that kind of content would move quite well. And you don't, now, by the way, you don't necessarily want to do a 15 minute video because it would take you, you know, let's call it eight minutes to, to, to plate a dish or 15 minutes to plate a dish. You know, you would film for the 15 minutes, but then you would snapshot that into like a two, three minute, you know, one to two to three minute snackable piece of content that would be like boom, 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 boom. And it would add a level of excitement to the process of cooking that most consumers don't get the opportunity to see, you know, because in high-end restaurants, they have this thing called chef's table. And chef's tables can be all, in all sorts of different areas. They can actually, in some cases, be actually in the kitchen. And it's just a fucking table they put in the kitchen with chairs around. And you eat while you watch the chef cook. Okay, and the chef's table in some cases can be positioned up you know, on, a, on, on, a, on a mezzanine level that overlooks the kitchen. But I'm telling you right now, whenever you get the opportunity to dine at the chef's table in any restaurant, that's, a, that's an exclusive opportunity because you're actually seeing behind the scenes. So you can even call your series on social media, the videos you do, chef's table with, you know, insert your restaurant here. Give it a shot. Kirsten Lee Sheedy. Hey Kerwin, any tips on how to grow me and my husband's business so that we can step back from working so much? Great question. You know, one of the biggest things I hear from people is the reason they got into business in the first place was to have more freedom. And my joke is often, how's that working out for you? Because, you know, 9.9 .9 out of 10 people that I speak to, they have less freedom than when they're in a job. In some cases, a lot less. And this really comes down to one aspect of the growth phase. And there are five, there are five, there are five, five phases of growth. And the phase of growth that this connects to when we talk about freedom, being able to step back from your business is what, we, what I refer to as scale. And scale is when you identify that you can no longer operate independently doing everything because you know, you're know you so tied to that business, but also you probably suck at a lot of stuff as well that you probably should be getting people who are very good at to do. And so when we talk about stepping away from the business, you need to get the business you know, revenue positive and profit positive to a point where you can actually start investing in talent to come into the business to take over the things that you suck at that are perhaps really important when it comes to making more revenue but also important to make, giving you back more time. You know, one thing I constantly hear from small business owners is, oh, you know, I'm not very good at doing my books, but I do my books anyway. And I say, okay, well, how much, does, how much time does it take you to do your books? And oftentimes I hear people saying things like 10, you know, five, 10, 20 hours a week. And I'm like, are you fucking mad? You could pay someone, you know, probably 180, 200 bucks to do like three or four hours of work. Because here's what I've learned. What would take me 20 hours to do would take a great bookkeeper 45 minutes. I'm not kidding. Like I'm not very, you know, number savvy when it comes to you. But let's say what would take me 20 hours could take a bookkeeper four hours. Now that's 16 hours different. And you know, a lot of people go, but, oh, but I'm only just making enough profit for me and I couldn't afford, because if I invest in someone else, then I'm gonna probably take home less. And if you're thinking that way, then you don't understand the concept of business and you should go and get a fucking job. And the reason I say that is because in order to get to that next level, there's gotta be the, the periods that you go through where whatever profit you make gets invested into talent. That talent then enables you to bring in more revenue. That revenue then gets invested into more talent. You know, where ideally in the ideal world, you might, you know, four years from now, let's call it two, three, four years from now, you might find you've completely delegated every single function in your business. You're still taking home the same pay packet, but you're now not working at all. You're now free from your business, but most, most importantly, now you're free to focusing on real profit, 
real growth. And that's where the real money is made because when you're actually free from the business, that's when you've got the opportunity to be creative. You know, and you need time and space to be creative. You need the, you need the space around you. You, know, you, need, you need to actually literally have physical space. You, know, you need to have time to be able to sit there and ponder. Well, what are the biggest challenges we have in the business right now? What are the greatest opportunities for growth? And really strategize about the things that you can do to move forward. You know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was asked in one of his um, town hall Q&As, like how he spends his time. He spends 80% of his time reading and thinking about how to make Facebook better. You know, 10% of the time on internal stakeholder meetings, and the other 10% external stakeholder meetings, and that's his life. Warren Buffett quoted the exact same statistic. He spends 80% of his time reading and thinking about how to add more value to Berkshire Hathaway. So you don't get the opportunity to spend that amount of time being creative unless you've actually gotten rid of all the jobs that you either suck at or even some that you're good at so that you can get to that place. And that's where the real growth happens. But most people don't have the, di the discipline to wait and it's almost like the, it's that delayed gratification. It's interesting, like if you were to get 10 entrepreneurs and put them around a table who all like chocolate cake and give them a piece of chocolate cake, I can, like startup entrepreneurs, I can almost guarantee based on how they eat that piece of cake as to how long or whether or not they'll actually become successful. Because some people, when they eat the cake, they eat the icing straight off the top, okay? And that's the people that want instant gratification. Whereas others like me, ever since I was a kid, okay, I used to literally eat I used to nibble up from the bottom of the cake to the top and I'd leave that icing for last. And then that icing, I would fucking, mm, mm, I'd savor it because that was the best part, but I was willing to wait. Yet I remember other friends you know, that I hang out with in childhood and I actually remember this clearly because he used to tease me like, oh, you always leave the icing for last. I was like, yeah, well, that's the best part. And they would smash the icing straight off the top. Now, I don't know where these people are right now, but uh, you know, my assumption, you know, and I'm not gonna cast assumptions or judgments on anyone, but what I do know is there's a level of delayed gratification that's required to achieve not only true freedom, but true success where the money and the rewards actually match you know, the effort that's been put in. But it's not gonna happen if you're doing it solo. It's simply not. You need to bring in talent. The money that you have spared should be invested to talent so that that time that you get back should be freed up in focusing on bringing in more revenue so that revenue can then be invested in bringing on more talent so that you can focus more time and bring on more revenue to the point where Everyone else, you've got other people focusing on bringing in revenue and all you're doing is leading, okay? You're leading the charge and focusing on, you know, personal branding, social media, you know, or just in most cases, problem solving. Jude Young. Hey Jude. Hey Jude. Take a sad song. Hey Kerwin, how would you recommend people to acquire training into their lives whilst maintaining a full-time job? Oh dude, I can speak to that. I can speak volumes to that. <laughs> okay, all right, brace yourself. Um, you're talking to a dude that from a very early age, like from pre-15, I basically hustled selling everything from horse shit to chocolates door to door, okay, whatever I could to make money. Then when I was actually of the legal age and I couldn't get a job, I basically worked for free for six months in menswear stores just to get a reference so that I could then go and get a real job. And then when I had a real job, I didn't just have one real job, I went to school and as I've already said earlier, you know, I'd open a gym at 5 a.m. I'd work till 8.45. I'd have to run to school where I was late most mornings. I then, you know, all day at school till 3 p.m. Bus till, you know, to a, the mall at 3.45 start and then I'd work till 1 a.m. And then I was basically grinding. As a laborer on the weekends, you know, you don't come in at 10 a.m. Again, you're on site at sunrise, 5.30, 6 o'clock, depending on when the sun comes up. You're on site on sunrise. So for me, there's plenty of time. There is nothing but time. That's all you got, pal. It's but it comes down to your ability to schedule things that are important to you 
based on where it is that you want to go. See, the challenge for most people is they schedule things based on what's important to them right now. Okay, and what's important to most, to most people right now? Probably, you know, having fun, going out, going to the movies, getting drunk with friends, having dinners, having $19 smashed avocados. Poor fucker who mentioned that one. Um, you know, that's what they're typically focused on. You know, whereas for me, I, I've just never done that. You know, I've never been someone who goes, oh, look, I've had my party stage, but I had my party stage at 34 after I'd already, you know, made a lot of money. So for me, you know, I know that there is nothing but time. And if you're working a nine to five job, you know, you've got at least another seven hours easily, you know, that you could be working from, you know, seven at, in the evening. Like even if you're working from seven in the evening, uh, you know, until, until midnight, okay, because that'll still give you plenty of sleep if you're sleeping from midnight till six. You know, that's still giving you five hours every night. You know, five, that, times that by seven days a week, that's 35 hours. You can actually work full time and put part time hours into a full time business. And just to add some icing to that cake, while we're on the subject of cupcakes, um, you know, I can think of two, two women right now, one woman, woman specifically, she built a business from scratch that currently turns over about five and a half, six million dollars. She has 15 full-time staff, okay, and she still has a full-time job, has the whole way through. And she's a single mum of a daughter who has, who has special needs. So that is probably a good example to put things into context around what's possible. You know, another one of our clients works full, full time uh, and runs a Pilates studio. And I can't remember, I think it's either three or four Pilates studios, something like up to 20 staff, and she's working full time. It can be done. And hopefully these references will give you the, the basis to be able to say it's possible so you can go and do it. But the only thing that's gonna prevent you from doing it is what you think is possible. And if, you, if you're already saying, oh my God, I can't give that up, then yeah, just get a job. It's probably gonna be easier. Probably a lot easier for you and then your friends who don't have to listen to people bitch about how you don't have the time to work on your business because there's fucking plenty. All right, that was episode six of the Hey Kerwin Show, but I need more questions. We have so many, but I need so many more. Let me know, what are your questions? Use a hashtag Hey Kerwin in the comments below. Let me know what you want to know, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, fucking YouTube, uh, Instagram, hashtag Hey Kerwin. But also, my question of the day. If you had 10 days to live, how would you spend it? What would you do? Who would you do it with? And would you be grateful and happy at the end with what you've left behind? Let me know below. 10 days to, 10 days to live. What would you do? How would you live those days? Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.